Romans chapter number 8, and uh, as we begin here this morning, <coughs> of course the verses leading into, we'll begin reading in verse number 31, uh, talk about how uh, the Holy Spirit, he, he prays for us in a way that it can't even put into human language. Uh, and he, Paul is dealing with different aspects of life that sometimes are difficult and says that even the hard things, of course famously in verse 28, uh, the hard things in life, God can take them uh, and use them and make them not necessarily not going to make the thing that are hard good, but make them become for our good uh, and use them in our lives. And so that's kind of the backdrop of what's being given here as we begin reading in verse 31 uh, down through the end of the chapter where he says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not uh, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to speak to you this morning on the thought, secure in the Savior's love. Let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> that we can come, gather together. Lord, open the word of God and invite you to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to uh, cleanse our hearts, our minds of the busyness of life and the distractions, the hardships, all the things that we deal with outside of this place. And outside of our homes oftentimes, and sometimes within. And what I pray that you'd help us to just embrace in this next few minutes what you have for us from this passage of Scripture. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you convict us of our sin. I pray that you'd help us to see that we need the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also help us to appreciate what we have in it. And what I pray that you'd again, that you'd be honored and glorified, and that you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, when we look here and we consider what he's talking about. You have to kind of put your, yourself in, uh, in the time. Paul's here. He has been one that has persecuted the church and then he found Christ and God completely changed his life. Now he represents the one that he once persecuted. They're in the time of Roman rule, but it's also the time uh, where it's beginning to implode. And so what you uh, would see happen through this age uh, from the time of Christ through the ministry of Paul and the other apostles and then into uh, the very early stages of the church beyond the apostolic age and time, uh, you see much suffering. You see much persecution. The church at Rome, and we know that Paul suffered a lot of persecution. Paul was imprisoned multiple times. Uh, he was beaten multiple times for the gospel's sake. Uh, he was shipwrecked on multiple occasions. He was snake bit. Uh, he was... Uh, stoned and left for dead. I think you could make a pretty strong argument that he actually was executed and died and that God resurrected him. 
uh, though that is, is not definitive, but is, the case is pretty strong. And so Paul is not someone that's writing about suffering with no knowledge of it. This is what he's experienced. The church here at Rome has also experienced this suffering. At one point they had to flee Rome and go to another area before they came back. And uh, we see and know that there was great suffering and persecution. Christians were uh, served up and fed the lions in the Colosseum in the, in the floor when uh, in front of great crowds and spectators. The term Roman candle that we would use to describe uh, a firework on the 4th of July that would pop out about 10 little bursts uh, actually is the Christians being placed on stakes to line the city streets of Rome and lit on fire as they burned them alive to light the streets uh, is actually what a Roman candle is and what it was in its origin. Paul is not writing to a people that are not going to suffer for the sake of Christ and that he's not writing about something that he never experienced. He wrote and yet says, I am secure in the love of my Savior. Security is kind of a big deal to us. And we, uh, <clears throat> and especially uh, the ladies, uh, more so even than the men, but it's really important to all of us, we want security. Uh, we want to know that things in our life are stable and secure. We want to know uh, that we're going to be able to pay our bills, to make our way. We want the security of decent health. We want the security of knowing that our, our spouse loves us and is there for us, not uh, the, have it being stripped away of the peace of wondering whether or not they're going to be there or they're going to be faithful or they're going to be supportive. We want uh, the security of our homes to know uh, that when we go home and we retreat inside the doors and the walls of our homes, uh, that there's going to be peace, that there's not going to be intrusion of, uh, of those that want to come in and cause harm. Uh, there are, are, we're going to uh, be able to, to get away from everything and just have that haven uh, that our homes should be. So the feeling of security is something that to every person uh, whether they realize it or not, is, it's a big deal. Now, I realize this morning that there are a lot of people that go through life that never know what it is to feel security. They don't know what it's like to live in a home where mom and dad get along. They don't know what it's like to live in a world where, uh, where they're, they're, they feel that the love that's offered them is genuine and is legitimate and is secure. Uh, those that come from a background where your home was abusive or where your family disintegrated or where uh, different things of that happened, it's harder uh, to get to a place in your home where you feel secure. Uh, and so uh, going through life, it causes you to question. It makes it hard to trust. It makes it hard uh, to put your confidence in. It makes it hard to believe that someone uh, would love us whenever uh, the most sacred place in, in the world uh, to, the, to us, especially when we're young and our, is the sanctity of our homes, uh, is a place when that has been violated that it makes it hard to feel secure. Even if it's been secure in that way, if you've ever suffered a break-in, if you had your, your, your personal space and property violated, whether it be uh, your place of employment or a vehicle or your home, uh, and so we've over the years experienced most of those things, not our home, but cars have been broken into and uh, often I've had things stolen out of my office at church and 
uh, and not here, praise the Lord, but, uh, but it, it's happened over the years at different times. Uh, and so when we served in the church in Arkansas for 10 years, uh, our actually of all of the people that taught in the Christian school and that worked on the pastoral staff throughout the 10 years that we were there, we were the only ones whose home wasn't broken into in the time that we were there. Uh, and uh, every church member that lived within probably a three or four mile radius of the church at one point or another in the time that we lived there had their home broken into. And even the house that we lived in when we first went there uh, that was right on the church property between the church building and the uh, and the gymnasium, uh, there was an alley behind it, and uh, at one, it had a little lean-to built on the bottom, and at one point there were homeless people that had kind of wedged their way into that and were living in there, but they couldn't get into the house. Uh, and so it it's, it's violates your space, and it makes it hard to feel secure. When that which should be sacred and should be protected is violated, it tears down our ability to feel secure. Whenever we go through hardships in life in relation to our salvation, our relationship with God, our church experiences, and when things uh, maybe are, there's an abuse of power or there uh, is a breakdown in relationships with people that we once held in high esteem or high regard, people that impacted our lives greatly, it breaks down that trust. It breaks down that security that we feel uh, in the Lord and in his word and in uh, the assembled body of Christ that he's placed us in uh, in this instance. And so it's security. But think about this too, the love of Christ. How many of us would love someone that did to us what we did to him? You know, when you stop and you think about the love of God and their volumes have been written, uh, songs have been written, I understand it is an inexhaustible subject biblically, theologically, mentally, emotionally. We'll never fully comprehend uh, the love of God. But think about it in this fashion. If I was Jesus and my creation had betrayed me, had turned on me, did everything the opposite and in opposition to what I stood for, rejected me, rejected my love, why would I ever consider going where they are, putting on their flesh, walking amongst them just so that they could physically abuse me, mentally and emotionally abuse me, put me on a cross, drive nails through my arms and my, uh, my wrists and my feet, played a crown of thorns on my head that pierced into my skull and then hang me up to suffocate a cruel death on a cross after they had beaten me to the point that my bones were literally exposed on my back. If someone treated me that way, I don't think that I would love them. I don't think that the thought of expressing love to them would even enter my mind. I would be enraged. I would go to war. If someone was going to do to me what we did to Christ, we would meet them at our doors, weapon in hand, to not let them in. But God's love was so great that he looked down at us and found us in the midst of all of that sin and in the midst of all of our betrayal of him and all of our rejection of him and said, my love for you is so great that I can't stay here. 
I have to come to where you are. I have to bear that because in bearing that, I'm expressing to you how much I love you. And maybe you'll understand at some point, as you see through my love and my sacrifice, your need for my love and sacrifice, and that will work in your heart to bring you to me. You know, in our time, people live in insecurity. It's, it's you know, what, what once was um, kind of a given in many circumstances today uh, is not so much. And so what that's created because of the breakdown in the home, because of the breakdown of just common decency across the board, is that we don't feel secure. Some people have no place in which they feel secure. And the reason is, is that because of the breakdown of all these things, they either do not trust the person that's trying to express that love and security to them, or they do not believe that someone could love them or be that kind to them. I think at times we run across people or even experience that emotion in ourselves where we feel like I, it's really hard for me to believe that someone could love me, that someone would trust me. If you're here today and you know that you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have at least on some fashion experienced the love of Christ extended to you and you are secure in his love. You may not feel secure in his love. Satan will continue to put doubt in your mind as to whether Christ really loves you the way that he says that he does. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you've come to understand the love of Christ enough to realize the condition of your soul and to receive and accept his gift of sacrifice and salvation and payment for your sin to reconcile you to God, making atonement for it. If I've come to that place and I put my faith and trust in Christ, sought forgiveness and repentance of my sin, then I have received him as my savior. Then I am a blood-bought, born-again Christian. I'm a child of God. I have been birthed into his family because he loves me. Satan has lost the battle this morning if you've done that for your soul. He's lost it. And there's nothing that he could ever do to regain it. But that doesn't mean that he won't spend a lot of energy trying to convince you that it's not real or that God really doesn't love you or how could he love you when you mess up again even after he's given you that, uh, that forgiveness. And when he can do that and when we start to believe that, he renders us ineffective in our Christian life. He causes us to live in a way in which, uh, in which we doubt, in which we don't feel secure. We, we miss the very best that God has for us uh, because we've lost the ability to be secure in Christ. And the question I want to ask you this morning is this, are you secure in Christ? I'm not talking about positionally in your salvation. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word that if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are secure in Jesus and in his love. That doesn't mean you feel that way. What I'm asking this morning is are you living your life with doubt that he loves you? Or are you sleeping soundly at night secure that my father loves me, that my father's caring for me, that my father's watching over me, that my father's meeting the needs? I'm asking this morning, can you or do you trust God? Not just for salvation, but for life.
Do you trust him in every aspect, every element? Do you trust him to meet your needs financially, materially? Do you trust him to meet your needs emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Listen, our trust in God is built upon faith. How do we come to Christ in the first place? We had to come by faith. We're saved by the grace of God, but it's faith in God that brings us to a position where we can receive that grace. Where does that come from? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is birthed from the scripture. And the more exposure that I have to the word of God, the more faith can develop and grow within my heart, the more that God has to work with. Listen, our trust is, and God is built upon faith but it's extended and solidified by our relationship. Why do I harp so much as a pastor uh, about your relationship with God? It's really not about religious rites. It's not about, uh, it's not about uh, the, the ceremony or the orders uh, of the services and the way in which we do things. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that's personal, uh, that's, that's a, that, a, that is right here where I'm at, and my faith brought me to Christ, but he really wants, beyond that, a solid, close, dependent, personal relationship with him. And my trust in him grows as my relationship with him grows. The more that I experience him, the more that I, uh, that I sense his presence in my life, the more that I walk with him, uh, the more solidified it is. So my trust in God comes from my faith in him. It's built upon and it grows in my relationship with him. And that's expounded and I get confidence the more that I experience him. Now, there are a lot of Christians that put their faith and trust in Christ, but they never really experience Jesus in their day-to-day -day life. They, 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 our faith, our trust is there, but it doesn't go beyond just a, a prayer that we prayed in a service that we attend. It hasn't gone home with us, and it doesn't, it doesn't stay in our heart uh, as we rest or when we go through trials. We try to lean upon it, but we don't know how because we simply have not walked with him enough to experience him in a real and viable way that causes us to have confidence that even in times that are difficult, that he's there and that I can depend upon him. Paul, the early church, the martyrs, uh, they could not have made the sacrifices that they made. They could not have, ha have burned at that stake and not recanted their faith. They could not have, have taken, they, they were given at times opportunity. Hey, if you renounce your faith in Christ, then we won't feed you to the lions. If you'll turn away from what you say you believe, then we'll let you off the hook. And they would not do it because what they experienced in their relationship with Jesus was so real that they could not betray him. They endured the sacrifice and the suffering that God brought and allowed in their life so that, that people would see that this is real. So, Pastor, why would God allow such suffering? It was the only way to get through to such a cruel people, the love of Christ. And his grace sustained them in it and they'll be rewarded and have been rewarded in heaven for it. Uh, God will allow us to suffer for a moment in this life that he might accomplish much for in light of eternity. And say, Pastor, how cruel, what kind of a God is that? The same kind of a parent, he's the same kind of a parent to us uh, that, would, that, that we are whenever we would let our child go into a surgery and an operation that would prolong and make their life better. 
When our youngest daughter, Elena, was born, uh, just a, a few days after she was born, Sonia discovered a, a knot in her neck. And then she was just, I don't know how, she was a few weeks old uh, whenever they did surgery. And when she went into the surgery, we didn't know if it was cancer or if it was a tumor or if it was uh, benign. And praise the Lord, it was benign. And she still has her little scar right there around her collarbone. Uh, and... Uh, and we were relieved, but we had to go through that, that trial. But we didn't hesitate to let our little infant child go into surgery and to have to go through that suffering and that recovery and all of those things, trusting the doctors to do what was best for the long term. Listen, that's what when we go through suffering as Christians, we're doing with our Father in heaven. We're trusting him uh, and, and we're trusting him in our suffering, understanding that we only have a microcosm of, uh, of things, of information to, to process where he has all of eternity to see. Listen, God will sometimes let his children suffer in this life. That eternity is benefited. That scores would come to Christ. I, uh, there was a, a young a family, an evangelist family in Arkansas. And we were, uh, we were there. We, and their, their youngest son. Uh, it was, and they knew that he had some heart issues. But, uh, but they tried to monitor things. And, uh, and he was a great family, great kid. And they, they went to their, their basketball game. And there was about two minutes left to go in the game. And uh, they had a timeout. And they came off the court. And everything was fine. And he sat in a chair. And the huddle broke after they went back out on the court. And he didn't get out of his chair. His dad scooped him up, put him in the car, performed CPR all the way to the hospital. Doctors did everything that they could to resuscitate him, but on his 15th birthday, he went home to be with the Lord. The family gathered. They sang well. They sang, it is well with my soul in the lobby of the hospital before they left through their tears. Well over 100 young people trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior because that young man went to heaven early. Say, how could God be so cruel? How could God be so merciful? He gave grace and mercy to a family that suffered. And if you ask them today if, they, uh, if, if, if that was what they preferred, of course they would say no. But they also rejoice in the fact that God used the sacrifice of their son to bring many to Christ. So then we don't understand and we don't, we, and we don't uh, always get what it is that God's trying to do. And, and these people that Paul writes about did not always understand uh, what God was trying to accomplish through their suffering. But history has revealed that God did much through their suffering. In their suffering, they are secure in the love of God. God did not not love them by allowing their suffer. God loved them more through the suffering to accomplish his purpose and his will. And that's what Paul's communicating here. Notice that he says in verse number 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Understand, he's in prison. He's been beaten. People are being sacrificed because of their faith in Christ. And he doesn't say, God, why don't you love us? He says in the midst of that, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can remove, no matter what man does to me, no matter what the culture does to me, what can separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, 
in all these things, we are more than conquerors. They didn't look like a conqueror on the floor of the Colosseum being devoured. They didn't look like a conqueror as they were burned. They didn't look like conquerors as they were imprisoned and beheaded. But they conquered. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, the demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's his message this morning? His message is this. Listen, uh, whenever I face the fear of death, I have the hope of life eternal. When I face the demons, the angels are there. When I face the fear, of, when I have the fear of trials, the present troubles uh, will soon pass. When time uh, is taken into consideration and the brevity of life, I look at my life through the lens of eternity. In the depth of despair and failure, I have the heights of godliness and success in the walk of my life with Christ. He says, no matter what brings my life brings my way, no matter what Satan throws at me, nothing can separate me from the love of God. He says, nor any imaginable thing. I cannot be separated from the love of Christ because he loves me no matter what I face. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of the 1600s, said this, They cannot cut off or impair our love to God or God's love to us. Nothing does. Nothing can. Sin stops God's blessing, not God's love. God loves us. Christ is our mediator. It is in and through him that God examines his love for us and that we can love God. That God extends his love to us and that we can love God. Zephaniah, the Old Testament prophet, wrote this in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. My friends, this morning, if you're going through a hard time, uh, I, 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 I feel for you. I'm not happy that you're going through it, but I will tell you that in the midst of it, you can trust the Lord. If you're here this morning with disease, if you're here this morning with heartbreak, if you're here this morning having uh, dealing with family betrayal, if you're here this morning... Uh, feeling rejected, if you're here this morning with financial problems and hardship, if you're here this morning out of work, and no matter what you face, I tell you this, God loves you. Amen. He cares for you. you. Say, Pastor, but I'm overwhelmed in sin. I'm not telling you that he doesn't care about the sin and that he won't deal with the sin. But in the midst of that, it doesn't stop the fact that he loves you. And he wants to change your life. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to strengthen your faith in him. He wants you to experience more of him. He says, can anything remove me from the love of God? No. How do we know? How can he say that? Well, notice what he says. He says, number one, I am persuaded. For I am persuaded in verse 38 that neither death nor life, and he goes through the list, I'm persuaded. He is not persuaded by words. He is persuaded by experience and by faith. You have to understand at this point in Paul's life, 
He's met Jesus on the road to Damascus as he persecuted his church. He's been taught by him in Arabia for three years. He's preached across uh, the, the, the Mediterranean, sharing and spreading the gospel. He has endured the beatings and the stonings and the imprisonment and the shipwreck. He's been through all of that. And what he says is not, I've been through it all and it's not worth it. He says, no, sir, no matter what I face, no matter what I've experienced, I am persuaded. How could he say that? Because he had a real, genuine, legitimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am persuaded. Persuaded simply means thoroughly convinced. I am thoroughly convinced that in the midst of it all, my Savior loves me. How are we convinced? How can I be convinced, Pastor? Well, be persuaded this morning by biblical promise. He's told you that he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm telling you this morning, you can be persuaded by biblical promise. How? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. When I understand and I realize that God has shared with me in his word, that he loves me, that he's demonstrated by his actions that he loves me, that he's made the sacrifice that no one else would make for me, then I come to a place where I, like Paul, can be persuaded, be persuaded by biblical promise. Not only that, I can be persuaded by personal relationship. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is not, uh, is not just some prayer prayed. It is a meaningful relationship in which the Holy Spirit of God moves inside of my heart where the spirit that died within me in the Garden of Eden is resurrected and brought to life, where I commune with God in his image in the way that I was designed. It's about a personal relationship. In Romans chapter number 8, in verses 16 and 17, he described it this way, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That that Holy Spirit that lives within me convinces me within my heart and communes with me within my heart and gives me the confidence to know that I am a child of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so that, uh, so if be so that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He says, listen, not every believer is going to be selected to suffer, but some will. But whether I am or not, the spirit of God beareth witness with my spirit that if I am a child of God, I am a joiner with Christ. And when I can rejoice with him, I rejoice. And when I need to suffer with him, I suffer. But we're together. We're one. We're going through this life together. We are persuaded by personal relationship. Not only that, we can be persuaded by life experience. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the famous verse. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And listen, I'm saying this morning that we are, can be persuaded by life experience. Why? Because nothing can prevent God from loving me. Nothing. So pastor, what if I commit the most horrid of sins? He still loves you. He might punish you. But he punishes you because he loves you. God loves you. We love him because he first loved us. 
We learn how to love by the way that God loved us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. And the illustration here is just simply this. The more that I go through together, the deeper that I love that I have for him. The deeper experiences that people go with and through together, the deeper their bond. Men uh, that have suffered greatly together uh, in, in combat. I'm reading a book now uh, about, uh, about a particular individual going through World War II and what he experienced in the, uh, in the campaign and the people toward the end of the war that had survived like he did through it without, without physical wounds, though they have many mental and emotional wounds. And all that they experienced and how close they were, how close they remained through the years. They're all passed away now. But how that suffering strengthened their bond. And the more that we go through together as families, the more that we go through together as a church body, the more that we go through together with, uh, with those that we're close to, the stronger the bond becomes as we go through life. Listen, the more you go through together, the deeper the love, the respect, the loyalty uh, to one another we have. He loves you. And Paul just said, I'm persuaded. When I've abounded, I was persuaded. Whenever I was greeted with love, whenever I was lifted up and honored, whenever I was welcomed back into the church of Antioch after uh, the missionary journeys, whenever I was uh, sent out and prayed over, when all of those good things took place, I was persuaded, but so too am I persuaded by the presence of Christ in my life whenever I've been called on to suffer for his name's sake. I'm persuaded. Not only did he tell us that we're persuaded, but he told us that we are preserved. Nothing shall separate us. It cannot be taken away. It, it, it is not something that can be moved or that we can be removed from. He says, I am preserved. How are we preserved? Well, we're preserved by the power of God. We're not preserved by our own power. We're not, we're not strengthened by our own power. Titus chapter 3 in verse number 5, he said it this way, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, and the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We this morning are here, we are preserved by the power of God, not by the power of self. In John chapter number 10 uh, and verses 25 through 30, he said, Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but ye believe not because ye are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. My friends, this morning, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot be removed from Him because of the power of God. The power of God saved us. And the power of God keeps us. And the power of God is working in and through us. We are preserved by the power of God, but we're also preserved by the person of God and the Holy Spirit. The person of God takes up residence of in the form uh, of His Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter number 1 and verses 13 and 14. 
Uh, he says it this way, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Realize this morning that we are the purchased possession. That when he gave his life on Calvary's cross and when he resurrected from that grave, he made a purchase of us. We are redeemed. We are bought again. We were his because we were his when he created us. We were stolen. We were lost away whenever we sinned. And he came and he repurchased us and made atonement for our sin. And he says, until the day that I bring you out of this life, until I bring you into my presence, I am sealing your decision and your acceptance of my atonement with the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. And nothing can take that away. You are contractually bound to God by the person of the Holy Spirit. God's person in my life. Listen this morning. I am preserved. You are preserved by the power of God. And you are preserved by the person of, the, of God and the Holy Spirit. And you are preserved by the promise of God. God has promised that he will do what he said he will do. That he's bound by his word. And he's proven time and again that he is, uh, that he's worthy uh, to be trusted. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. God has promised eternal life to those that put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's promised to keep us. And Paul says, no matter what I go through in life, I am persuaded that God loves me and I am preserved by God's love for me and I am thirdly at peace in the love of God. Ultimately, what is it that we long for? Peace. You know what I look for when I go into the doors of my house? Peace. I just want peace. And activity happens, grandkids come over, it's a different kind of peace. But when they go home, there's the best kind of peace. <laughs> Having loved on them for a while and sending them back with their parents and the house falls silent, sometimes we look at each other and we're just like, you can't hear a thing. Not even a car passing on 146 out the back window. Listen, listen, listen to that. To what? Nothing. <laughs> peace. It's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> what I'm saying this morning is that we can be at peace in the love the storms of life will rage, but I can be at peace in my Savior. In 1 John chapter number 5 and verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, and that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I can believe on him and receive life, and I can believe on him and experience life. I have the peace this morning of knowing that the love of God has brought me peace in my salvation. Do you know the peace of God? Do you worry and are you tormented about where you'll spend eternity and what judgment you'll face? You need not be this morning because he loves you, because he's paid the price, because he wants to give you security, because he wants to bring peace into your life. And Paul says, I'm at peace in my salvation. He also says, I'm in peace in life storms. 
listen, life is going to get stormy sometime. Life is messy. People are sinners by nature. We can't help it. It's just what we are. And the only difference between someone that has peace and someone that is of the worst kind of human is the mercy of God, is the person of Christ in their life. And Paul says, I am at peace even whenever I'm going through the storms of life. John framed it this way in John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, Jesus said, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Listen, I may not ever overcome it, but he already has. And when I walk with the Lord, I can experience peace with him. I am at peace, Paul says, with God's will for my life. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Paul said, I am at peace with God's purpose and plan for mine. Understand, it wasn't always a peaceful existence for Paul. It was often violent. It was frequently cruel. Sometimes he was very hungry. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes he suffered. Sometimes he sang. Sometimes he sang in his suffering. Paul knew what it was like to go through very difficult things, but he said, whatever God needs of me, whatever God asks of me, wherever God leads me, I am at peace with it. I'm experienced in him. Philippians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 4, he begins to, he shares with us how that's possible. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known, your self-control, the way that you live, be known unto all men that the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, he says, don't take anything for granted. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice what happens when we do that. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, see, we have a tendency to believe the worst. Somebody comes and tells you, oh, somebody did something good, you doubt it. If they come and tell you somebody did something terrible, you spread the word. It's the gospel. We think on the things that are problems. We don't rejoice in the things that we have. We complain about the things that we don't. We don't rejoice in the relationships that are healthy and that, are, that feed us spiritually and restore us. We complain about the ones that tear us down. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things uh, are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful. In other words, they were looking for a way to be a blessing, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Notice what Paul says. I know how to be abased or to do without. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ 
which strengtheneth me. That verse is usually taken out of context and twisted. What he's saying is, if it's the will of God for me to be imprisoned, I can do all things through Christ. If it's the will of God for me to be hungry, to suffer betrayal, to endure snakebite, to endure shipwreck, to be cold, to feel alone, I can do all things. In other words, whatever God has ordained for my life, I can do it because I know that my Savior loves me. I am at secure. I am at peace in the will of God for my life. Security, my friends, this morning is born of trust. That security that Paul has is because he trusts his God. He's not questioning. He's not doubting. Security is born of trust. Do I trust God? Will I trust God? This morning, if we are going through a difficult time and we wonder where he is, I ask you, first, do you trust him? And second, will you trust him? Because he loves you. Whether I feel it, whether I understand it or not, he loves me. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. He's in prison. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day the day of his soon coming beheading, the day of his arrival in heaven, the day of the end of his suffering, I know that God is able, I am persuaded that he is able to keep the things that I've committed to him because he loves me and because I love him, because I've experienced him and because he's real. My friends, this morning, if you're here and your heart is not at peace, it can be. If your soul suffers because you wonder how God could forgive you when you can't forgive yourself. If you wonder if God really, truly cares about me like that, he does. How can I know? Because he promised it in his word. Because he demonstrated it with his life. Because he's reaching out to you. Sometimes he reaches out in the form of a kind touch from someone that may even be a stranger. Sometimes he reaches out from someone that's close to you. Sometimes he reaches out through a song. Sometimes he reaches out through a sermon preached. Sometimes he reaches out from a verse read. But he's reaching. He's longing. He's looking because he loves you. You want peace? You're not going to find it in the world. You might find some temporary solace here and there. People look for it in immoral relationships. They look for it in drugs and alcohol. They look for it in work. I'll just get lost in work. They look for peace. But what they're really experiencing is nothing more than a distraction. What Jesus offers us through his love is not a distraction. It's peace. 
the peace of knowing that Jesus Christ is my Savior and that my home is eternal in heaven. It's secure in his love and no one can take it away from me. The peace of knowing that in my suffering, he's right here with me. And if it's his will, he'll give me the grace to see it through. Pastor, I don't understand that. You won't until you go through it and experience it. All I know is that he's promised it. And I trust him. Do you trust him? Will you trust him? Because he does love you.